Romans chapter number 6 this morning. We're going to dive right into it. Romans chapter number 6. And if you're able to, once you find uh, your text this morning in Romans chapter number 6, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're not able to, totally understand. Romans chapter number 6. Want to share a quick praise and an answer to prayer. Uh, Brother Jerry Bosch, where are you at? Right there. Brother Jerry Bosch found out this week that he is cancer-free. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. That is, that is a huge, huge answer to prayer and a huge blessing for him and his wife. You say, does God answer prayer? He sure does. Amen. 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 So I want to share that this morning. And uh, I know that would be a blessing to get a chance to go by and just uh, give Brother Jerry a hug. I know you keep praying for him. Amen. But man, what an answer to prayer to be told by the doctors, you're cancer-free. Some of us are like, well, I don't think that's a big deal, Brother Andrew. Let me know how that works out when the doctor calls you and says, hey, you have cancer. Yeah. Amen. Well, praise the Lord, Brother Jerry. That's a blessing. Thank you for sharing that with, with the church and be sure to let preacher know. All right, I'm excited to be in church this morning. I don't know about you. I had a good night's sleep and uh, had, had about 20 cups of coffee this morning and not quite, not quite. I was hoping somebody might bring me Starbucks this morning, but Brother Philip, I guess, since he got married, he just doesn't think about me anymore, and, you know, so he didn't bring me Starbucks, so no, no, no. <clears throat> All right, Romans chapter number six, looking forward to the message this morning. There is a lot to cover this morning, so I am going to try not to speak too fast and uh, try to make it as simplistic as possible, but man, there's so much truth. Uh, this passage of scripture I've been reading through and over and over and over, and God's been working on my heart about it in my life as an individual Christian, and uh, so even before pastor said, hey, can you preach Sunday morning, God had already been developing a message out of this text uh, in my heart, and so I'm, look, I'm excited. I'm excited for what God has for us this morning. So Romans chapter number six, let's begin reading in verse number one. <clears throat> the Bible says, here's Paul writing, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we be implanted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Title of the message this morning, I actually have two titles, kind of the same way, but I just kind of I worded it a couple of different ways. And uh, First title is this, Who's the Boss? Who's the boss? You know, when I say, hey, who's the boss? Brother Andrew, who's the boss in your life? Not Miss Crystal, I'm the boss, amen? 
Who's the boss? Or we could say it like this, who's on the throne? Who's on the throne? Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we are thankful for the privilege we have to be able to be back in your house. Lord, I thank you, God, for the service already. What an encouragement to be in your house with your people this morning. And Lord, as you moved amongst us during the song service, Lord, as we sang praises unto your name, it was very evident where our hearts were challenged and stirred. God, I pray this morning that you would give me clarity of thought and clarity of heart, clarity of speech as I preach this text this morning. Lord, there's a lot to cover. And and God, I I pray that it comes across clear. You know my heart. and Lord, I I know that this passage has worked over me. I've obviously read it many times over the years that I've been in church. And uh, Lord, I've probably even preached it before, but there's just something here, God, that really just has stuck with me. And I, I don't know, God, where everybody is in their life this morning. I know that some are down and discouraged. And, Lord, some of them couldn't even raise a hand this morning and say, I've got to praise. It's just been one of those weeks where it just seems like everything is against them. And Lord, like everybody in their life is against them, whether it's their spouse, their children, their family, their friends, co-workers, their boss, whatever the case is. Or maybe even this morning there's somebody here that they even think that you're against them. I pray this morning's message would be a blessing and an encouragement to all of us so that you'd speak to our heart and that you would get the glory to your name. We ask all this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> this morning in the time that we have, we're, we're jumping right into the middle of the book of Romans. So if you'd give me a little, little bit of liberty this morning, I'm going to kind of build a case prior to us getting into Romans chapter number 6. But there's some groundwork that that needs to be laid before we get to Romans 6, that in order for us really to understand Romans 6, and specifically the first 13 verses of what Paul just wrote there and we just read, uh, there's going to be some little bit of preparation time. But Romans has often been referred to as the most important letter that Paul has ever written. And Romans, if you really read it and study it out, Romans is very doctrinally rich, it's very, it's very deep, it's very uh, applicable to our life even today. And I read a commentator, he described Romans, the book of Romans, like this. He said, the book of Romans is the most complete, systematic revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Scripture. And the gospel is the supreme revelation of God's eternal plan and divine character. It is the revelation of His eternal wisdom and of His holiness and His love, His judgment and His mercy, of His severity and His goodness. It is the revelation of God's eternal plan in Christ. And it encompasses age past the present age and the ages to come. It encompasses Israel and it encompasses the church and it describes the glory of God in the salvation of a fallen, helpless creation. In Romans, God is justified in His judgment yet magnified in His grace. And I couldn't think of a better description given uh, for the book of Romans. But the book of Romans begins with Paul writing in chapter number 1 and he makes a statement in chapter number 1, verse number 15, that he's ready to preach the gospel. And so in the first five chapters of the book of Romans, Paul preaches a simple salvation message. Brother John, he just just doesn't hold back. He just preaches salvation. He preaches the fact of this. Two, Two specific things in studying those first five chapters think really stand out. Paul preaches the fact that all men are condemned sinners before a holy God, and there is nothing they can do to save themselves. Listen, I'm thankful this morning that that there's not a new wave of doctrine of salvation when it comes to Riverside Baptist Church, Brother Mike. I'm thankful this morning that no matter when you come in, whether it's for Sunday school or Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, that salvation has stayed the same. Listen, you're not going to hear from Pastor Marshall or from myself 
or from a deacon or any guest preacher that comes up and says, well, there's, there's a new way to be saved. You're not going to hear that. You're not going to hear a, a perverted gospel being preached. At least you ought not to, amen? No, 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 the gospel hasn't changed. Salvation hasn't changed. There's not some new way to get to heaven. The gospel begins with the bad news of man's condemnation. Here's the fact, and I said it in Sunday school to the teenagers. You're all sinners. You may not like to hear that. It's not positive thinking or positive preaching this morning. But you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. There's nobody here that has lived a life that has been perfect, that has been sinless. We make mistakes every single day. I'm sure if you were to ask Miss Rachel this morning if Brother Philip sinned this week, and you know, you would think, man, he's married. He's, he's you know, God's answered that prayer, man. He'd be like, uh, he'd be a perfect, perfect angel. I'm sure she'd say, oh, I want to stand up and testify this morning that Philip is a wicked sinner. Amen. Amen. She said, Amen. No, no. The fact of the matter is this morning that it does not matter who you are. It does not matter your upbringing. It does not matter if you're married, single. It doesn't matter if you're an adult, teenager. It doesn't even matter if you're a church member of Riverside Baptist Church. You and I are sinners. And because of the sin that's in our life, we need salvation. Listen, we cannot this morning, we cannot preach Jesus without preaching the cross. Listen, we cannot preach Jesus without preaching the cross. We can't even preach heaven without preaching hell. I said we can't preach heaven without preaching hell. Listen, time and time again, I've watched service after service after service of multiple churches online. And man, we want to flower up heaven, and we want to preach heaven, and we want to preach the streets of gold. But can I tell you this morning, that as sure as there is a heaven, there is a hell. And there are people in both places. There are people in both places. This last year, my grandfather passed away. Where is that tonight, Brother Mike? If he rejected Jesus Christ... He's not in heaven. Listen, we cannot preach heaven. We cannot preach heaven without preaching hell. But more than that, we cannot preach salvation without preaching repentance. Even more than that, we cannot preach the love of God. Listen, we cannot preach the love of God without preaching the judgment of God. And Paul says, listen, there is a, there is a problem in all mankind, and that problem is a sin problem. And no matter what you do, no matter what I do, we can do all the good works in the world. We can give all the, we can be a good person. I was talking to an individual this week on the phone and he said, listen, you don't understand, Brother Andrew, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I am a good person. But you know what? When you stand before God, God's not going to go, man, were they a good person? That's not what God, that's not God's measuring stick, if you would. God doesn't look upon you and say, man, they're they're a good person. They deserve heaven. No, no, that's not how God looks. But the second thing that Paul preaches in the first five chapters of the book of Romans is this, is that God has provided salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, this salvation is a gift of God's grace based upon Christ's atonement and by us receiving it by faith. So up until this point of Romans chapter number 6, Paul has built a case for the necessity of salvation. So how, can, how do you describe it like that, Brother Andrew? Why? In Romans 3.23, Paul makes this statement, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that verse very well. Man, we, it's one of the, probably one of the most commonly known, memorized verses outside of John 3.16. Man, for all have sinned. But we've been shown that there is one means of salvation, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been told that by placing our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we're given the gift of eternal life in Christ. Paul has let us know that the human race is doomed because of the sin of Adam. However, at the same time, that God in His love and God in His mercy and God in His compassion sent Jesus Christ to pay our sin debt. Pay our sin debt. So let's sum this up then real quick and we'll get on to our, the meat of the message, if you would. So within the first 
Five chapters of Romans, Paul has been dealing with the topic of justification. Justification. Justification defined as the act by which God himself declares you to be righteous, to be perfect before him. Let me read that again. Justification is the act by which God, not you, not me, not a preacher, not a church, not a religion. No, no, it's the act by which God himself declares you to be righteous, to be perfect before him. Let me illustrate it for you this morning. Cole, would you mind coming up here real quick? Where are you at, Cole? I asked Cole about this earlier, so don't think that you just go ahead and stand down here. I asked Cole, I said, Cole, I'm going to use you this morning for an illustration purposes to demonstrate this. We're building the case for Romans 6. And he said, okay, so <clears throat> I'm going I'm to, this is kind of the serious part of the message, if you would. So hopefully, hopefully you get it this morning. Cole is, uh, I know he, Cole's only 17 years old, so he hadn't, hadn't lived a long life. And probably some of you think, well, he's, he's a good guy. He, his song leads up there. He looks, he looks okay. He's pretty sharp and got a nice haircut. But you know what? Cole's a sinner. Amen, Mr. Ring? Cole's a sinner. Brother D's like, yes, amen. Cole's a sinner. And so there's some sin that's been in Cole's life. Listen, listen, not just, not just right now, but for all his life. You know, Cole's a liar. Cole, Cole has a problem with lying. He, he, he's got a lying heart. And, 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 and he's lied. Listen, he's lied to his mom and dad. He's lied to his youth pastor. He's lied to his pastor. Hey, he's lied to some of his best friends. He's lied to you guys. He's lied to you. Hey, he's lied to you. He, he, hey, how about this? He's lied to God. Oh, Cole's a liar. That's pretty sinful, right? That's, Brother Butch, that's pretty bad, right? I mean, no one likes liars, right? We don't like liars. Hey, can I say this? We live in a generation of people that lie. We live in a generation of people that, that, that are all about themselves. And so they'll lie to make themselves look good, and you, you and I will believe it. But the fact of the matter is this. Lying is a sin. Lying is a sin. So Cole's a sinner. But not only that, man, Cole has a problem with being disobedient. Man, Cole is disobedient. Brother Jacob, I mean, he's, he, could, he just tells his mom and dad, yeah, whatever, I'm going to do what I want to do. Man, I graduated high school. I'm song leading. Man, I'm interning at church. Man, look at me. Look at how sharp I look. Man, I'm going to do what I want to do. No, no, no. No, we laugh about it, but sometimes this is exactly how we respond to life. No, 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 no. Even as adults, we're disobedient. We do what we want to do. And so, man, Cole's a, he's a wicked sinner. Oh, man, Cole, he's a gossiper. No, 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 he's a gossiper. He likes to run his mouth. And, man, he's quick to put Brother Andrew down and quick to put his mom and dad down. And, man, did you, did you see what, uh, what Lydia did? And, oh, my goodness, man, Skyler, man, what a loser. Man, let me, tell you, let me tell you how messed up he is. No, no, Cole's a gossiper. Can I say this? In 2021, gossip is still a sin. Come on, come on. Gossip is still a sin. You want to destroy a church? Gossip. You want to destroy a family? Gossip. You want to destroy a marriage? Gossip. Gossip is still sin. Oh, but Cole, man, whew, he's a thief. He's a thief. Man, I saw that Snickers he stole out of the cafe. Oh, yeah. Hey, and that, that, hey listen, that fancy pen that Miss Emily had on her desk that she went to Office Depot to buy this last week, she's been looking all over church for it. Cole stole it. He's a thief. Man, he's a thief. He's a robber. Man, man, he's he's a thief. He's a thief. He's a thief. But Cole has some other sins that he struggles with. Some that maybe this morning we, we don't really want to talk about. But they're still sins, Brother John. No, Cole has a Cole has a sin of alcohol. He's a drunkard. 
He's got a problem with drunkenness. He's got a problem with booze and with alcohol. Man, he's got some real issues. But you know, here's the thing. Here's the sad thing. We'll look at things like lying, and we'll look at things like being a thief and being a gossip, and we'll equate those to not big sins. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But can I, I want you to notice here this morning, I'm not hanging this anywhere else on coal. These are all sins of coal. God, listen, God doesn't look at sin and go, well, that's a, that's a little sin. God doesn't look at sin and go, oh, that's, that's a big sin right there. Like, man, you can't, ooh, that's really bad. That's not how God operates. God says, sin is sin. Oh, we're not done with coal, though. No, 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 no. Coal and, and all his flair and all his pizzazz and, man, his good looks and his suit. No, 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 no. Ready? We're getting serious. Cole, Cole has an adulterous heart. Cole has a heart of adultery, being unfaithful to his spouse. Now, he's not married. He's 17. We're using him as an illustration. But he's being unfaithful to his spouse. That's pretty bad, isn't it, Brother Mike? I mean, no, we're, we're not talking about lying and stealing and gossiping and disobedient. No, we're getting real serious now. He's adulterous. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. See, Cole's a, Cole's a murderer. Cole's taking innocent life. Cole's taking somebody's life, and he's, he's, not, he's not even batting an eye. He could care less. Now, we think, man, these are, these are horrible sins, and these are sins that, uh, how in the world, how in the world could God, how in the world could God look at somebody like this and, and, and think, man, this, 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 this person is worth dying for. No, 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 if, if this was really Cole, because it's not, by the way, let me just clarify a little asterisk here. If this was really Cole, if Cole was a murderer, if Cole was a drunkard, if he's an adulterer, if he's a gospel, all these sins, and we can list a hundred, a thousand more sins and attach them to Cole's name. If this was really Cole, here's our response. How in the world could God save him? How in the world? So this aspect and this mindset, if you would, this doctrine of justification comes into play. And here's what God does. When Cole gets saved, God does this right here. It's all God does. No, 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 no. He's still a sinner. He's still a sinner. He's still going to fail. He's still going to make mistakes. He's still going to stumble. Listen, everybody look over here. He's still going to do some things that probably he's not going to stand up and go, I want to testify of all the sin I've done this week. No, he's still going to fall. He's still going to stumble. He's still going to sin in his life. But Paul tells us in the first five chapters of Romans, because of Jesus Christ, because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary, God looks at me and I'm justified as if, as if I had never sinned at all. And the righteousness of God is then given to me. It's not, listen, it's nothing that Cole did. It's nothing that Cole did that gets him the righteousness. No, no, no. It's nothing. We say, well, I've, I've never, Brother Andrew, I've never murdered anybody. I haven't either. I haven't either. Brother Andrew, I, I've never committed adultery. I haven't either. I haven't done, I, I've never, I, listen, I've never been drunk in my life. Never. But man, I've, I've lied. No, I've lied. Have you? Don't say, I told the teens this morning, everybody lied, and they're like, I'm like, don't say that you haven't, because then you'll be lying, right? We've all lied. Hey, listen, it has nothing to do, Brother John, with what I've done. It has everything to do with what God's done for me. And according to Paul, in the first five chapters of the book of Romans, Paul lays out this beautiful case. We don't even have the time. We don't even have the time to go back and look at it. I encourage you to go back and read the first five chapters of the book of Romans. So rich. Paul says, because of what Christ has done for you, you have been justified, 
When you put your faith and trust in Christ, God, listen, here's what God does. God takes away the sin, and he looks at you as being righteous. Everybody follow me here. So the case this morning is this. Cole lived his life for this right here, right? He had all these wicked sins, these vile sins. He was a murderer. He was a, a whoremonger. He was an adulterous man. He was a drunken man. He was involved in all kinds of horrible, horrible sins. God saves him. God forgives him. And therefore, before the sight of God, Cole is now righteous. Everybody following me? Make sense? All right. Thanks, Cole. You have a seat. So that's the first five chapters of the book in Romans. So in Romans chapter number six, Paul makes a transition. Paul goes from what we'll call justification, which we illustrated right there, to this aspect of sanctification. Paul says, listen, you were once bound by your sin. You were once lost in your sin. You were once enslaved to your sin. But because of Jesus Christ, because of what Christ did for you, man, you've been justified just as if you've never sinned. Man, hallelujah, praise God. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, uh, I would enjoy living life debt-free, amen? And, and I understand some people have debt and different things going on, but man, could you imagine, could you imagine pastor's heart if somebody just walked in and said, hey, I, I want to write a check to pay off the church mortgage. Hallelujah, praise God, Brother Larry. Man, you know how excited we'd be for, to be completely debt-free as a church? Man, what a blessing. Why is it then that when God comes into our heart and saves us from the penalty and, and, and the chains and the bondage of sin, are we not excited for all that God has done for us? Why is it that when God, when we stand before God in a lost, sinful state, holding our sins and going, God, I'm just such a mess. I'm a wreck. Man, God, I just don't, it just doesn't make any sense. God says, it doesn't have to make sense to you because it makes perfect sense to me. And we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and God justifies us and he doesn't see the sin anymore, Brother Philip. Man, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees the righteousness of his son. I can't, I, I, Brother Brett, I don't understand that. I, I, I really, I don't. I've been to Bible college. I, I, I've been in ministry all these years. I've preached, I've studied, I've read books. I've listened to podcasts, listened to preaching. I've done it all. But I can't understand how a righteous, holy God could do that. But he does. And so the latter part of chapter number five Paul finishes up. Look at verse number 20. He says, moreover the law, chapter 5, verse 20, he says, moreover the law entered into the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Man, I'm thankful for God's grace this morning. I'm thankful for the grace of God that's in my life. Listen, not just at the day of salvation, but every single day, because I need God's grace every single day. No, no, I need, I need, the, grace, I need the grace of my wife, <laughs> but I need God's grace even more than I need the grace of my wife every single day. Verse 21, it says, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reigneth through righteousness unto the eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We've got to realize this morning that justification and sanctification are not the same. You see, justification takes place the moment you're saved, you put your faith and trust in Christ, whereas sanctification is a lifelong process. Pastors have been preaching on Wednesday nights about sanctification and how important it is for the Christian Justification is what God did for us, while sanctification is what God does in us. Justification is the means, and sanctification is the end. In justification, it declares us righteous, like we just illustrated, but in sanctification, God makes us righteous. There's a constant growth that takes place in my life. Justification removes the guilt and the penalty of sin, whereas sanctification move, or moves, sorry, removes the growth and power of sin in our lives. So as we get into chapter number 6, chapter 6 begins to show us that we cannot, listen, we as individuals cannot do whatever we want and still claim the name of Christ. 
So Paul, look at verse number one. Here's what Paul says. What shall we say then? He begins this chapter with a question. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been justified, you've been saved, the sins that you, that you had in your life, that God's forgiven you, and he looks at you as being righteous without sin, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, God forbid that you and I that are saved, that are born again believers would continue in sin. And that's what Paul's addressing here in chapter number six. That as God saved you, as God brought you out of that, that lifestyle and brought you out of that bondage and that muck and that mire, if you would, and set you upon a rock and saved your soul, that you and I would continue to sin and continue to live a life like we weren't even saved. So that's what we're looking at this morning. Paul answers, or asks, sorry, asks these two questions. If salvation is by grace without works, as taught in the previous passages of chapter 1 through chapter 5, can the believer, can the believer, can the, can the, can the born-again believer truly continue in sin? It's a thought to consider in today's environment. No, no, how many, how many of you, you work with people, maybe you know people, you have family, you have friends, that they'll stand up and they'll testify, yeah, I, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I'm born again. But you're kind of like, really? Is that really the case? No, no, we, we question it because of what? Because of the decisions and the way that they're living. And we wonder, man, are they really, really, really born again? But then he also answers this question. He says, if, believer, if the believer is not under the law of Moses, is he not under any law? Can he live as he pleases? Can he do whatever he wants? <clears throat> the mindset here is this, is that once you and I get saved, there's a difference that ought to take place in our life, but at the same time, the behavior of our life ought to change. Look at the issue that Paul points here in verse number one. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So the chapter opens with the question that Paul gives, and ultimately, here's what Paul is asking. Should we keep sinning so God can keep forgiving us and displaying his grace? No, no, the mindset is this, is that if God will forgive sin, should I then just keep sinning so that the grace of God keeps showing up in my life? That's really kind of in the roundabout way what Paul's getting at. Paul is saying, listen, you were, you were bound by sin. You were, uh, for all have sinned. Your life was a mess. You were bound for a place called hell. But God loved you and sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sin. And so you've put your faith and trust in Christ. Man, now, you're, now you've been justified. But it just doesn't stop right there. No, no, no. God doesn't save us so that we can just keep doing whatever we want to do. God doesn't save us so we can keep being an adulterous man or an adulterous woman. God doesn't save us so that we can be a drunken man or a drunken woman. Listen, God doesn't save us so that we can continue to lie to our parents or continue to lie to our friends. God doesn't save us to live in sin. God saves us to have victory over sin. That's what he does. And Paul's getting at that in chapter number six. Paul says, listen, what's going on here? I mean, what's the purpose here? I mean, God saved you. God did these things in your life, and, and, and you're going to continue in sin? And look at what he says in verse number two. God forbid. I, I had this picture in my mind of, of, of Paul writing this letter. And, 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 I, and I'm, I'm, I'm picturing in my mind Paul writing. He's, he's writing this letter in Corinth. And I'm picturing him sitting at the table and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and maybe, maybe some people from the church of Corinth are around, they're fellowshipping, whatever the case is. And, and as he's read, writing this letter and he's penning these words, he gets down to the end of chapter number five or this break, if you would, in the letter and, and he changes, changes the tune. And he says, what? What shall we say then? I mean, if God saved you, if God's forgiven you, what shall we say then? Listen, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
and I'm picturing in my mind Paul writing these words, God forbid! And like everybody just stop it. No, 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 no. In Paul's day, the problem, listen, the problem was deeper than the Roman government. In Paul's day, the problem was deeper than the tax issue and the economy. You know what Paul's, the, the problem that was going on in Paul's day, Brother John, was this, was that there were those that got saved, but they didn't live like it. Oh, wait a minute. That's the same problem in 2021. No, 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 no. No, no. The same problem in 2021 was the same problem that Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Problem. No, no. He wouldn't have wrote that, Brother Philip, if it wasn't a problem then. He wouldn't have been led by the Spirit to write these words. The fact of the matter is this, is that in 2021, we have so-called Christians that would stand up and say, man, I, I love Jesus Christ. I love God. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Man, if Pastor Marshall asks if you're saved, raise your hand. Man, I'm raising my hand. But deep down inside, they are living a sinful life, and they know it. So Paul says, God forbid. Look what he says, a lot of part of verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul says, how in the world could somebody who says, who says they're saved, how in the world could somebody who says that I'm a child of God continue to live in sin? Continue, listen, continually to knowingly live in rebellion. Man, Cole stands up here and holds this sign. Cole stands up here and holds this sign. Man, he's a liar. He's a cheater. He's a gossiper. He's adulterous. He's a drunkard. He, I mean, he, his life is just a mess. And Cole gets saved. Cole, listen, Cole gets saved. He gets justified. He has a day of salvation, Brother Mike. And man, he's like, Woo! I'm saved. Praise God. This is, man, what are, talk about freedom. Man, this is amazing. And Cole goes on his way. Six months later, Pastor Marshall gets up and goes, Well, you know, uh, six months ago, that man by the name of Cole came forward, Brother Larry. He got saved. Hey, man, yeah, I remember that. Well, he's back drinking. He's back cheating on his wife. He's back gambling. He's back lying. And he's doing all these, all these sins again. And here, listen, listen, everybody look up here. Here's our mindset. Man, that's so horrible, Brother Brett. That's so messed up. That's such a, that's such a tragedy. Man, man, he had all the potential in the world. Man, I saw him up there song leading, Brother John. Man, man, he just, yeah, all the potential in the world. Can I say it like this, that we're no different? We're no different this morning. No, 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 no. Just because I put the suit jacket on and, and put the tie on and put the cologne on and fix the hair and everything else, brush the teeth, yep, brush the teeth, just because I did all those things does not mean I don't sin. And do, listen, does not mean I'm no different than Cole standing up here with all these sins. You know the problem is this morning? Here's the problem, Brother John. We want salvation, but we don't want sanctification. Oh, we, we want justification, we want to be justified in God's eyes because, man, we don't want the penalty of sin. But, man, we, have, we don't want nothing to do with living for God. We want to do what we want to do. And can I say this? That is why sometimes people come to Riverside Baptist Church, not just as visitors, but as guests. I know it's Sunday morning. I'm, going to, I'm trying to be respectful when I say this. But we come into church, and we're miserable at church. Miserable at church. You know why we're miserable at church? Because deep down inside, we know what God wants us to do, Corbin, but we have chosen in and of ourselves to do what we want to do. And we'll hang our heads, put our, he our head in our hands, won't pick up a songbook, it's like we could care less. Why? Because we would rather live for this world and the sin that this world throws at our face than live for God. And what a shame, what a shame. Here's what Paul's saying, listen, you don't get it, Romans, you don't get it. If he has made you free, he has made you free indeed. 
How sad, listen, how sad to have the freedom that God gives, yet we still want to live in the chains and the bondage of sin because we'd rather feed our flesh. That's what Paul's getting at. Paul says, hey, listen, you've been justified. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son. But why would you? The issue here is this. Why would you, why would I continue to live in sin? But I want you to notice verse number three here. We're going to move along quickly here. Verse number three. The Bible says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, ignorance is a key factor in spiritual failure. Paul asks this question, know ye not? Know ye not? Well, I know we don't like to use the word ignorant or somebody's ignorant or their ignorance, but really when you look at the real definition of the word ignorance, we know this, that somebody who's ignorant is just somebody who's unlearned, somebody who doesn't know. Uh, there's certain things, listen, there's certain things I don't, I'm ignorant about, okay? I'm ignorant when it comes to sewing. I don't know how to sew, all right? I, I just, Brother John, I don't know how to sew. I'm very ignorant when it comes to sewing. And so I have to ask my wife or my mother-in-law or my daughters. I just, there's certain things I don't know. Uh, there's, listen, there's certain things that, that maybe you're ignorant about. You just, you just don't know. And so Paul here in this text, verse number three, he says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized unto Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Paul's saying, well, wait, wait a minute now. Don't you realize, have you forgotten the fact that when you got saved and when you put your faith and uh, trust in Jesus Christ, that God saved you not to be the same, but to be different? Not to live the same life that you lived before salvation. Not to live a life of adultery. Not to live a life of idolatry. Not to live, the, uh, live a life of lying and stealing and, and all the sins that, that, listen, that permeate our life. Paul's saying, what, are you, are you, are you losing your mind? Have you, have you not learned anything yet? Then he says this in verse 4, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, even so, we also walk in newness of life. Paul is saying, listen, because of salvation, because of justification, listen, there's an aspect of sanctification that takes place in your life, and there's a newness that welled up inside of you. Paul is saying, why in the world would you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Why in the world would you want the freedom from the chains and the bondage of sin, and yet continue to live life in sin? Why? That's what Paul's asking. So it begs us to ask ourselves the question, why would we, as God's children, if we're saved this morning, why would we who've been justified in the sight of God, and, and listen, and listen, we've been, we've been made righteous in the eyes of God. Why would we who are made righteous in the eyes of God continue to live in sin? How miserable does life have to get before we recognize, man, I'm living for myself. That the real boss in my life, the real person on the throne of my life is not God, it's myself. It's my sin. It's my sin nature. It's what I want to do. It's what I want to do. Then look at verse number seven. Let's wrap this up this morning. Notice the independence here that God gives us once we're saved. He says, verse number seven, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing, listen, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For that in he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when a man is executed for a crime, he is freed from the crime when he is dead. Case is closed. When we were in Colorado, 
about an hour, hour and a half south of Colorado, there is a massive uh, prison, <clears throat> prison area. And if I'm not mistaken, in that part of Colorado, outside in between Pueblo and Canyon City, Colorado, uh, there's about six different state penitentiaries. You have the Supermax, Brother Mike, and all the other little state penitentiaries. And I remember, I remember going to a preacher's meeting at a small country church south of that area, and I remember taking some back roads, and we took a wrong turn going to the church. And as we made a wrong turn, we come up to these guys armed top to bottom. And I'm like, we have made a wrong turn. Also inside of that area is not just the state of Colorado's penitentiaries, but there's a federal penitentiary where the guys that were responsible for the Oklahoma City bombing lived. Unabomber's down there. And listen, I, I, I can think back now to all the times that those guys were in those facilities and hearing everything about it in the news and, and all the arguments and the appeals and everything else. But you know, once those guys were killed and put to death, it was like no more. No more. There was a man there in the Colorado on the death row that had walked into a Chuck E. Cheese in Aurora years ago. Walked into a Chuck E. Cheese toward the close of the end of business and just started killing people. He was on death row in the state of Colorado. And I'll never forget, Brother John, when he was getting ready to get put to death, all the people that were lobbying for him to stay alive and lobbying for him to be alive and all this and all that. And Forgive him. You need to forgive him. Forgive him. But you know, when he was finally put to death and the case was closed, it was done no more. And in the passages we just read, in verse number 10, here's what God says. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Here's ultimately what God is telling us this morning. Jesus Christ died. Listen, he died on the cross of Calvary to pay the sin debt for you and I. But it wasn't just the sin debt that Jesus paid for. My sin was laid upon him, Brother Rick. And here's what God did. Here's what Jesus did for me. My Savior did for me. He said, I bore that sin upon me when I died. Your sin died with me. Now I live so that I live unto the Father. But hold up, hold up, apply it to me. Here's what Jesus said, Andrew, when I died, your sin died with me. All my sin, Brother John, all my wickedness, all my vileness, all the, listen, all the sins that I only know about and God only knows about, God says, listen, all those have died upon the cross of Calvary. But Jesus now lives so that I can what? I can live that I can live. You and I have an opportunity this morning to live either free or we can live in bondage. No, no, no. We can live free or we can live in bondage. We can live under the penalty of sin. We can live with the rejection of God. We can look at Jesus Christ and say, I don't care what, I don't care what Paul said. I don't care what happened in the first couple of chapters of the book of Romans. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do what I want to do. We can, we can live that way. We have a free will. I was talking to one of our teenagers after Sunday school. God created us with a free will. We can make that choice. I wouldn't recommend it. As a matter of fact, I highly recommend that you don't live that way. But this morning as I look at this text, and one of the areas that God really worked on my heart about was this. Why would I, as somebody who would stand up and testify that on June 10th, 1991, at West Charleston Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, during vacation Bible school as a seven-year-old boy, why would I, at that point in my life, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, why would I then continue to live in sin? 
Why would I live my life every single day, 1991 to 2021? I've been saved that whole time. Haven't lost my salvation. I've rebelled. I've gotten wayward. I've been chastened by God, but I haven't lost my salvation. Why would I live from that moment to this moment and continue to live in sin? Can I use, can I use the words of Paul here for just a second? God forbid. God forbid. It's easy to come to church. It's easy to play the game. It's easy to take our Bible and open it up. But you know where the rubber really meets the road? Is when we acknowledge the fact that we are struggling with sin in our life. And we're not, listen, we're not as excited. We're not as surrendered. We're not as yielded to God like God wants us to be. And it's not because we're necessarily shaking our fist at God. But because deep down inside, Brother Andy, there's some sin in our life that we're not willing to let go of. And Paul said this, God forbid that a God in heaven who loved you and I so much would not only take upon your sin and pay the penalty for your sin, Dad, Sophie, but that He would not only do that, but that He would take your sin no more. He would wash it away white as snow. There is a fountain. Man, what a song. Imagine me if you would, and I'm done. An individual who lives their life as a slave. I don't know about you, but if you watch any of the news, we know this, that slavery is a big issue in the world, in the world today. But imagine me, if you would, a, a young man, he's lived his life as a slave. All he's known is being a slave. Brother Mike, he doesn't know any other lifestyle, just being a slave. And his master takes him to the slave auction one day and he auctions him off. Auctions him off to another individual. And that individual walks on up to that slave man and says, hey, I'm your new owner. I, no, 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 I've bought you. I'm your new owner. And I want to give you something. He takes out a piece of paper, and on that piece of, piece of paper, he writes the word free and hands it to that young man. Man, that young man's ecstatic. I'm free! <laughs> I'm free! Free at last! Oh, I don't have to be a slave anymore! That owner's like, exactly right. You don't have to be a slave anymore. And that boy takes and he looks at that statement free and he looks on over and he sees the old slave master walking away. You know what he does? He walks right back to that slave master, gets right back in step with that slave master. That slave master turns around and goes, what are you doing? I, I sold you. I sold you. And so I'm just going to be your slave. I'm going to keep being your slave. I'm, I'm going I'm to do whatever you want me to do. Well, you've been made free. You've been set free. I mean, you were bought. You were, here's your free paper. No, no. I'd rather be your slave than be free. That's what we do with sin. Jesus Christ wrote the ticket that says free and says, here you go, Cole. You're free, free indeed. And we look at that, we get excited for a little bit, but then we go, man, I'd rather be enslaved to sin again. We would think that young man was a little crazy. But I say this morning that when I make that choice in my life, after all that God's done for me, I'm crazy. I'm a little messed up. Hey, when you make that choice, when God's forgiving you, and God's made you free, listen, from the bondage, not just the penalty, but the bondage of sin, when you choose, when I choose to continue to look at God and say, I know I'm free, but I'd much rather be slave to the sin that's in my life, we're making a big mistake. Listen, this morning... You're one of two people. You're either lost, on your way to hell, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
You don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. I didn't ask if you were a church member. I didn't ask if you grew up in church. I just asked whether or not you knew for sure you were saved. Or you're the Christian this morning. You have a time and a place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're born again. But if you're the Christian this morning, let me ask you something. How are you living? How are you living? What sin in your life is holding you back from living all out for God? What sin in your life, what lifestyle do you have? What, what do you have in your life that's keeping you from experience all that God has for you? Verse 12 says this, and we'll close. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, hey, listen. God sent His Son to die for your sin. Not just so you can have a home in heaven, Corbin. Not just, not just Abram, so that you could, man, you could be, get excited when you're at church. No, no, not just that. Not just so that you can have a great time at camp next week. Woo! No, no. God sent His Son to not only pay your sin debt, but God sent His Son so that you could have victory over the sin that's in your life. Is it easy? It's not easy. It's going to be hard. But who are you yielding to today? Who's the boss in your life? Who's on the throne in your life? Well, Brother Andrew, you just understand how messed up my life is. And all this stuff. Ground is level at the cross. Ground is level at the cross. Every one of us could stand up this morning. I'm sure Brother Jerry could stand up and testify the last couple of months. The emotional, the mental, the physical. Listen, and can I say it like this? I hope I'm not intruding too much, Brother Jerry, but even the spiritual anguish of going through cancer. I said that statement earlier about Brother Jerry being cancer-free. There's tears welling up in his eyes. And hallelujah, praise God. But what is it this morning that's keeping you from living your fullest potential for God? Maybe it is salvation. Maybe you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to get, just get beside yourself say, God, I, I'm done with this. I need you. But maybe this morning it's time to stop faking it Time to stop using excuses and time to just acknowledge the sin that's in our life and say, God, man, God forbid, God forbid, God forbid that I should be justified just as if I'd never sinned, but continue to live my life as if I'm lost. Hey, I've been there. As a 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old teenage boy, I've been there, Brother Mitch. I was justified. I knew I was saved, but man, I live for the world. God forbid. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I'm thankful this morning that while we know that even if we are saved, we won't be sinless, or we're still going to struggle with sin. There'll still be areas of our life that you're working on, you're chiseling away. But Lord, I pray this morning that if we have lived our life with the mindset of, I'm saved, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. God will forgive me. Grace will abound. Lord, I pray that we get that. Or that we confess that to you. Lord, maybe this morning there's somebody that's here. Maybe they visited for the very first time or they've been here many, many years. Or maybe they're even a church member. And deep down inside of their heart, they've never been justified. Lord, there's never been a point in their life where they've accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior. What a shame to think this morning. What a shame to think this morning that they would continue to live their life after themselves and what this world has to offer and miss out, miss out on the joy 
of salvation. Lord, we do pray that you'd be with this time of invitation. Lord, we want you to be honored and glorified. As we stand to our feet this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, altars are open. If you need to talk to God, do business with God, I encourage you to come on down. Who's on the throne this morning? Is it you? Is it God? Who's on the throne? Who's the boss in your life? Who have you been living for and living after? Man, I hope this morning, I hope this morning that as you search your heart, you can make this statement and, and, and make it a hundred just confidently. God forbid that I live for sin. God forbid that I live for self. God forbid that I live for pleasure. God, I want to live for you.